Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country, to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back 
safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You have never given me, you, or you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered all your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fetid calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray before we get into God's word. Father God, we pray that you would guide us this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in our hearts. Lord, we pray that we would hear from your word, that we would be challenged by it. And we pray, Lord, that you would work in our lives, that you might use us, equip us and guide us so that we can be a part of the mission that you have sent us to do in reaching out to the lost. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's an old saying that one man's trash is another man's treasure. Collecting all sorts of interesting sorts of uh, memorabilia is becoming very popular these days. And I'm often surprised about what people are willing to pay for things that other people would just consider rubbish. And uh, because of my mechanical background, of course, my mind instantly heads towards old cars. I guess you start to realise that you're getting a little bit older when the car you used to drive when you were first married, which wasn't all that old at the time, is now eligible for historic vehicle registration. So it might be that I'm just getting a little bit older, but in recent years, I've noticed that there's a very interesting phenomena as cars get older. If you've ever had a, a new car or a newish car, you'll know how quickly a new car goes from being brand spanking new to starting to get old. It just happens, it feels like it happens almost overnight. And as they get older, they seem to pass through three distinct stages. The first stage is, well, when the car's just old, it starts to become unreliable and people start to lose interest in it. Nobody really wants it and they just don't have much value because, well, they've served their purpose. In this phase, lots of those old cars make it to the scrap heap or wrecking yards and, and only a few make it through to the next stage. They're basically worthless. But for the old cars that avoid the scrap heap and make it through to the second stage, well, for some reason or another, they seem to be able to find just a few people that are nostalgic about them, just a few people that still have some reason why they want to hold on to them. Maybe they had one when they were younger. Maybe their parents drove one or their grandparents. But for whatever reason, they hang on to them. Meanwhile, most people still haven't seen any value in these cars, so more and more of them head to the scrap heap. And for the cars that make it through this first and second stage of being an old car, will they get to go to the third stage? This is where it all changes. 
In the third stage, all the problems that were once well known about this car, all the problems, the reliability issues have long since been forgotten. People stop referring to them as old bombs and start saying things like, they don't make them like they used to. And when it comes to old performance cars, well, with every time the owner talks about how powerful these cars were back then, the stories become more and more exaggerated. And as collectors become more and more nostalgic about these cars that were once completely worthless, well, their market value continues to rise. And before you know it, the cars that were worth virtually nothing 20 years ago are all of a sudden highly collectible and very highly valued. The car itself hasn't changed. In fact, it's probably in worse condition than it was 20 years ago. But because of the value that we now place on them, well, now they're considered treasures that collectors search for. In this morning's passage, Jesus is showing us how much he values the lost. Their value isn't in who they are or because of anything they have done. Their value is in how God sees them and his desire to bring them to himself. And so as Jesus engages with the grumblings of these tax collectors, uh, sorry, teachers of the law and Pharisees, he tells them three short parables to show them how much God values the lost. Now, Jesus talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then two lost sons. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were highly respected religious leaders amongst the Jews. They observed all sorts of different rituals and traditions to purify themselves and to, they refused to associate with anyone that they thought was unclean. And so as this large group of tax collectors and sinners surrounded Jesus, well, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to grumble about it. In ancient Palestine, tax collectors were considered traitors amongst the Jews. They'd sold out to their Roman oppressors, or so it was thought. And even amongst their own people, they were considered to be dishonest, greedy, and corrupt. And this group of so-called sinners was made up of people who were known for sin, for outward sin, for not walking with the Lord. In the mind of these Pharisees and teachers of the law, Jesus was making himself unclean just by associating himself with tax collectors and sinners. These so-called holy men had no concern for the lost. They had no love for people and they had no desire to see people reconciled to God. They were far more concerned about looking holy themselves than encouraging others to come into a right relationship with God. Knowing what they were thinking and knowing the grumblings that they were grumbling about, Jesus spoke up and explained to them and everyone in that crowd just how much God values the lost. In the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, something of great value to its owner has been lost. 
The shepherd who's lost one of his sheep leaves all the rest of those sheep and goes in search of the one sheep that he has lost. In ancient Palestine, well, sheep farmers, shepherds, they didn't have their own fence paddocks that, that contained their sheep. They would look after their sheep out in the open field. And the shepherd himself was the only form of protection for that flock. By leaving the rest of the flock unprotected in the open field, well, the shepherd was risking the safety of the 99 in order to go and get that one sheep. That's how valuable that one sheep was. The 99 could have been attacked by wolves or other predators while he was gone. But because this one sheep was of such great value to the shepherd, he went in search of his lost sheep anyway. Once he had found this lost sheep that was of such great value to him, he was overjoyed. So overjoyed that he shared his celebration with his friends and neighbours. This sheep that was once lost was found again. Now, of course, the, the sheep was, symbolises someone who has wandered away from the Lord. And this parable is teaching us about God's desire to have his lost sheep return to him. He is willing to leave the 99 and go after his lost sheep. And the question for us this morning is, are we? The woman who had lost one of the 10 coins, well, she turned her house upside down to find this coin. The coin itself was a drachma. It was worth about the equivalent to a day's wage for a labourer. But to this woman, this coin was very valuable. The coin had some value of its own, but its main value was the value that she placed on this coin. It was very important to her that it be found. And so she lit a lamp. She carefully swept the house. She would have got down on her hands and knees and looked everywhere for it until she found that coin. And when she found it, she was overjoyed. She too called all her friends and neighbours around and together they celebrated. This coin that was lost is now found. And like the parable of the lost sheep, this parable is also teaching us how much the Lord desires to see the lost reconciled to him. As verse 10 says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is willing to turn the whole house upside down in order to gain one lost soul. And the question for us this morning is, are we? In the parable of the lost sons, the younger son demands his inheritance. He shows no love for his father, no respect for him. He says, give me this share of, my, of the property that is coming to me. And once his father has given him what he asked for, the young man takes this money. He moves away to a foreign land. You see, this young man wanted all the blessings of his father, 
but he did not want his father. Nor did he want to walk in the footsteps of his father. And so he left and moved to a foreign land. And now living in this foreign land, this young man used his newfound wealth to seek out every sort of short-term pleasure his heart desires. When the money finally ran out, a famine, a serious famine came in that land. And the young man fell into serious hardship. Now, instead of living the high life, he was literally starving. And he had no other choice but to take a job that no self-respecting Jew would ever want to take. Working with pigs. An unclean animal. It hit rock bottom. There was nowhere else left for him to fall. When he came to his senses, when he realised that he wasn't able to save himself and that his pride wasn't worth dying for, he went back to his father. He turned away from his rebellion. He started to make his way back home in the hope not of being called a son, but in the hope of being considered even amongst the lowest of his father's servants. While the son was still a long way off, when you could barely even make out his silhouette, the father saw him and had compassion on him. The father ran out to him and hugged him while he was a long way away. And even though the son knew that he no longer deserved to be called a son, the father quickly told his servants, put the best robe on him, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet. The son returned to the father knowing that he did not deserve to be called a son and was hoping to be considered even amongst the lowest of his servants. But as the father ordered that he be dressed like this, he was restoring him to sonship in his father's house. The son returned home expecting to be treated like a servant, but the father forgave him completely and again called him his son. And like the shepherd who had found his lost sheep and the woman who had found her lost coin, the father celebrated. But because this lost son was so much more valuable to this father than the lost sheep and the lost coin, the celebration was so much greater as well. The father celebrated by killing the fattened calf. He gave an extravagant feast over this son who had squandered all of his inheritance. However, when the older brother found out, he was furious. The older brother believed that he had earned his inheritance. He had done everything that the father had ever asked of him. He was a model son. And he felt that it was really unfair that this son who had done all of the wrong things was being restored to sonship and even being celebrated. But his father said, 
We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In these verses, Jesus has told three parables about the value that he has for the lost. And he told these parables to address the grumblings of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They couldn't care less about the fate of the lost. They had no value in the eyes of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were just like the older brother in the parable of the lost sons. They couldn't understand why Jesus would spend his time investing into teaching these tax collectors and sinners. These Pharisees and teachers of the law, well, they believed that they were doing everything that God the Father wanted them to do. They couldn't understand why Jesus would want to spend time with anybody else but them. But in these verses, Jesus is explaining God's heart for the lost. And he is challenging those who would follow him to value the lost in the same way. God's love isn't earned by well-meaning religion or spirituality or by obeying God's law. God's love always comes through mercy. The mercy of Christ poured out on sinners while we were a long way off. The younger son in the parable returned home only expecting to be treated like a servant. He came back repentant. The father instantly, instantly treated him like a son. God's forgiveness is never partial. It's always total and complete. He doesn't forgive us only as much as we obey his commands. He doesn't sort of forgive us as we sort of do his will. He forgives those who trust in him completely and without reservation through the mercy he has shown us through his son. So as sons and daughters who were once lost ourselves, but who have been brought back while we were still a long way off, Jesus is calling us to have the same heart for the lost as he does. You see, if the older brother had have spoken to the younger brother before the father had gotten there, well, his response would have been very similar to these Pharisees. He would have pointed him to the servants' quarters or he would have more than likely told him to go back where he came from. And the truth is that at times we are tempted to do the same when it comes to the lost. We are tempted to see how different people might be from us or how far away they seem from God without seeing their desperate need for a saviour. This morning, Jesus is challenging us to think about whether we have a heart like Jesus that values the lost. We're all in different stages in our lives, but we all have the opportunity to develop meaningful relationships 
with people who don't know Jesus. It's important to spend time with our church family and our relatives. But if we are only spending time with with our family and our relatives and our brothers and sisters in Christ, well, the only people we'll be investing in is them. But we are called to invest in the lost. We're called to reach out to those who don't know him. In these verses, Jesus is calling us to leave the 99 and go in search of his lost sheep. He doesn't want us to just stand around with the rest of the 99, the rest of the 98, and be wondering what to do next. He is calling us to light a lamp, to get down on our hands and knees, to sweep the floor and to invest in reaching out to those who don't know him. God's mission here on earth is finding his lost sheep. And he has called us as those who would follow him to join his mission. When the Pharisees and tax collectors looked at the people in the crowd, all they saw was their sins. Jesus wants his people to be a people who are willing to forgive sins, the sins of others, just as Christ has forgiven them. Jesus wants us to reach out to those who don't know him with his mercy and love. And he wants us to welcome them into, the, into our arms. The value of the lost isn't in who they are or in anything they have done or have not done. Just as our relationship with God doesn't depend on us, but on God's willingness to lay down his life for us so that we might be called sons and daughters of the living God. So this morning as we go back to our homes and go about our daily lives, Jesus is challenging us to reach out to those who have wandered away from him. Maybe this is... This call to care for the lost will take us right out of our comfort zones. Maybe it will mean striking up a meaningful relationship with someone we don't normally talk to. Maybe it will mean making a new friend. Maybe it will mean slowing down and listening to someone who we know is struggling or hurting in some way and showing them God's love. Maybe it will mean intentionally setting aside some of our valuable time to pray for someone who does not know Jesus. The words of Jesus, for I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that we have all become absorbed in our own lives and at times been more concerned about our own daily needs and our own worries than about your concern for those who don't know you. Lord, we pray that you would convict us to have the same heart for the lost as Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would equip us 
It's not always easy to speak to people we don't know. It's not always easy to develop relationships, Lord, depending on our personalities, Lord. But we know and trust that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you can equip us to do your will. And so, Lord, we pray that you would equip us in this mission, that as we go out from here later on, we might be salt and light wherever we are, declaring the hope we have in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.